the 275th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You're on way to Worthy, Worthy 5, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out foul. of timeout, technical foul, technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive, gets it back out to head, long outside shot, short rebound, May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today to get you ready for the Battle for Atlantis opening round matchup. It'll be Carolina and Northern Iowa. That'll come your way Wednesday at noon on the mothership ESPN. We'll be we'll, we'll get you ready by breaking down the Panthers, uh, tell you everything you need to know about Carolina. I have a great discussion topic for us to go over today. And then, of course, give our keys to the game as Carolina will look to advance in this holiday event. But before we do any of that, we start every edition of the pod, as we always do, with the pod thought of the day. And we go to Mia Hamm, arguably um, one of she, – she's on the Carolina Mount Rushmore of, of all Carolina athletics. Um, she's up there with the Michael Jordans, the Coach Smiths, the Aaron Matsons of the world. Mia Hamm is, is in the same breath, and her quote is, take your victories – Whatever they may be, cherish them, use them, but don't settle for them. And, you know, for those of you that have listened to the pod, we use the thought to apply it as most times as we can to um, the, 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 the current team. And we talked about this coming out of the game after they beat UC Riverside the other night. This team's 3-0. And I don't know if they've been happy with the way they've played outwardly with their messaging. Like, the head coach has definitely been very positive. But when you when you hear what the players have to say, whether it's R.J. Davis, Armando Baycott, Cormac Ryan, no matter who it is, you go up and down the roster, they haven't been overly pleased uh, with their efforts. And that that that's a... That's a different tune from what we've heard the last couple of years, where even whether it was last year where Carolina just seemed relieved to win the game, or a few years ago, um, you know there was just always a little bit more positivity even when Carolina was winning but winning ugly. And look, we want to we want to cherish winning, we want to enjoy the winning, but a lot of this right now when you're playing the schedule that you're you're playing is about how it looks, dictates you know your 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 outward your outwardly feelings. And this team has admitted they haven't played great 
And I think that's a good sign because they're not they're not taking the wrong approach. They're satisfied that they got the win, but they realize we can do X, Y, and Z better. And when your players are realizing that, and when your players are voicing that, that means you've got the right kind of leadership in that locker room. And as we've talked about all football season long, I, it definitely value, it definitely translates to the basketball court. Player-led teams are the best teams, and it looks like right now, as Carolina has their first real test this upcoming weekend down in the Bahamas, the leadership is ready as the season and the schedule gets tougher. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a much different mindset than it seemed like they had a year ago. Um, a year ago, this seemed like a team that, yeah, they were they were saying that things needed to change, and you're always going to do that when you're struggling the way that they were early in the se- uh, you know, early in the season last year, and then as the season progressed. But I don't know if we ever felt like they actually knew something needed to change because on the court, you never saw any sort of adjustments. I think even in these first few games of the year. You've already seen this team start to adjust in certain areas. Uh, primarily, you know, uh, one of the first things that we noticed in, in the game against Radford, defensively, uh, you know, especially the on-ball defense and and switching off of screens wasn't great. Carolina corrected it in the second half and did so immediately, and it's something that they focused on trying to do better since then. And I thought, you know, it sort of culminated the other night against UC Riverside in an outstanding defensive performance. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely things that Carolina wants to improve on here as we get uh, you know, further into the non-conference season and head towards the conference season. And the fact that, you know, it seems like even after these wins that guys aren't I mean, it's the last few years it always felt like every time Carolina would win, there was more of just a relief. With this group, I think it really just shows you that they know how good they can be and they feel like in their minds they need to keep improving to get to a point where they are in, you know, in contention for an ACC regular season title. Um, potentially, probably in their minds, I think in contention to make a run to the Final Four and, and maybe even a national championship. Yeah, and I mean, I think look, that's that's usually the goal. That's the expectation of this program. Um, but you know, you you've you've you, you you've got to have the right kind of guys, the right kind of leadership, and understand that this is going to be this is going to be a journey. And it's it's we don't want them to look their best right now. It's why I've laughed at all the Carolina fans that have quote unquote complained about the way this team has played so far to start the season. Dude, it's it's no, it's November twentieth. I I I don't want. I don't want Carolina looking as good today as they'll look next Wednesday, as they'll look two weeks from now. I want this to be a gradual climb, a gradual ascension to to March, and along the way, you're putting yourself in position to win the type of games and earn the type of and, and, and achieve the type of things this program have historically achieved. Um, and that right now is all to be determined, but. I really like where they're at, where where they've been, and we're going to really find out this week kind of what this team uh, is going to be made of moving forward because um, we mentioned that the schedule gets tougher, and it's going to get tougher in the Battle for Atlantis. There, there, there are good, they're quality basketball teams at that event. I don't know if Northern Iowa qualifies as just that. I'll start this by saying they were picked to finish second in their conference. So there is expectation that the Panthers, a program that in our lifetime um, have been to the NCAA tournament quite enough. Everybody knows the upset of Kansas in the 2010 tournament. Of course, they beat Carolina back in 2015, a road game back to Iowa. 
um, to take Marcus Page home for his senior year. Ironically, the he was hurt. His left hand was hurt. He didn't play in the game, and Carolina got upset as number one team in the country. So this isn't a program that's, you know, foreign to this to to, to success. For a mid-major program, um, they're the type of program that could go into this type of event historically and compete. Ben Jacobson, one of the better head coaches in the country, but they're off to a slow start. They are one and two on the season. They lost their season opener at, at North Texas, and look, everyone knows how good the Mean Green were a year ago. But Tyler Perry, um, and no, not that Tyler Perry, um, the guy that was, who was their best player a year ago, he's at Kansas State, um, and their other loss came to South Florida. And and not going to lie to you, don't know a lot about South Florida basketball. Don't think they're supposed to be very good. But they haven't been good outside of really one year in my life. And their lone win was, a, yes, a 40-point win over Division Three Loris College. Um, so there is there is that where they, they, they did beat an opponent and beat them into the ground. Um, but albeit that was a Division Three school. Uh, you, you know, you you got two players averaging double-figure scoring. Um, we'll start with number one, Nate Heiss, averaging 14.3, point, uh, 14.3 points, 6.3 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 52% shooting from the field, um, and he's shooting 33% from the, behind the three-point line. Then you got Titan Anderson, 11.3 points, 4.7 rebounds, 2.0 assists, shooting 48% from the field, 17% um, from the line, or from behind the three-point line. He was preseason second team all Missouri Valley Conference. And you got Bowen Bourne, a guy that isn't uh, off to the best of starts, just averaging eight points, three rebounds, two assists so far to start the season. He was a first-team All-Missouri Valley Conference preseason player. So kind of like what you've seen with some of the other mid-majors that Carolina has played, most notably Radford and Lehigh, yes, they're, they're, they are a mid-major, but a mid-major that has expectations within their conference and guys that are all-conference caliber players in that respective conference. Yeah, I mean, th- th- look, they have guys that are more than capable. And, yeah, they're off to a slow start, and that's that's putting it lightly. Because, yes, South Florida was projected to finish ninth in the American Conference. So, n- not great at all. Um, but, you know, it's it's a team that I think Carolina has to, ha- has to be weary of. Because if they are not careful, this is the type of game that, could bite them because we've been, as, as you've said, now that one was in Northern Iowa, but we've been here before. Um, you know, this is one that you just, you, you hope Carolina doesn't overlook this opponent. And I don't think they will because I got to be honest, I, 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 I think, you know, the next opponent that Carolina would get, I mean, Villanova, I know, came into the season preseason ranked. Um, they've got some really good talent on that team this year that they're hoping they, they can win with this year, unlike they did a year ago. Um, and, and Texas Tech, I mean, Texas Tech is nowhere near the team that went to the Final Four and the National Championship game under Chris Beard. But... I mean, I think Carolina's at the point where they are kind of taking it game by game. And I think they'll be ready for this one. Um, but, yeah, they, they need it's going to be a fight. Ben Jacobson, as, as you've said, he's been there for a while. He's taken them to a lot of NCAA tournaments. And, you know, they're going to be looking for something to sort of energize their season 
after a slow start because, yeah, as you said, they finished, picked to finish second in the conference. They have expectations this year, um, and they, they're hoping that they can use it as sort of a springboard by pulling an upset. And look, we've seen it in some of these other neutral site events already. One of the t- Villanova, the team I just talked about, um, they got upset by Penn in a neutral site in the Palestra uh, last week. So you got to be prepared for these types of games, and I I, I think Carolina will be, but it's probably going to be a tougher test than the records would tell you. Yeah, I mean, look, you got to go back to last year when Carolina spent their Thanksgiving out west, uh, and they played Portland in the first round of the PK-85. Um, Carolina got pushed in that event, and and so for a a mid-major program that is as proud as this one is, that's kind of got some pedigree to it. They're going to show up. They, I mean, they, they didn't get on the plane just for the vacation either. Like they're going to want to compete and make their and make their Thanksgiving um, a fun one. And so, kind of like the other the other couple of games, this team will test Carolina just in a, just in a different way. Um, and it's it's why even though Carolina hasn't played their first real marquee game. I look at their non-conference opponents and I say they're doing a good job scheduling the right kind of mid-majors. Well, let's talk about the Tar Heels because um, they, of course, enter this unblemished. They are 3-0. and Moved six spots up in the AP poll. They're now ranked 14th in the country um, after some shaking up, shaking up around college basketball last week with mm-hmm. you know Florida Atlantic losing at home, Arkansas losing at home, um, and Carolina blowing out UC Riverside on Friday was able to, to move them up the polls. Um, Carolina does have three players averaging double-figure scoring, led by Armando Baycott's 22.3 points, 13.3 ba- uh, 13.3 rebounds, still shooting 61% from the field. Um, you got R.J. Davis, 14.3 points, 3.3 rebounds, 2.3 assists, shooting 44% from the field, 28% from three. And then Harrison Ingram, the Stanford transfer, 12 points, 6.7 boards, 1.7 assists, shooting 45% from the field, 32% from three. Um, and then the real key stat that sticks out to Carolina, we talked about this in the last game, and we'll talk about it here. Uh, teams are making just 5.7 free throws against Carolina. That's the fourth fewest in the country while attempting just 7.7 free throws against Carolina, which is the second fewest in the country. And, you know, when, when, you, when you go back to when Hubert Davis got the job and, you know, the the one of the biggest reasons why, even though I was a Wes Miller guy, admittedly so, but one of the biggest reasons why I endorsed the hire was he was the first guy to fit the vision of what this program um, was was going to be in the modern era, which was a guy that played for Coach Smith but was mentored by Coach Williams and had the perfect blend of both with both philosophies because there were some things that those two legends did a little bit differently. This free throw number is very Coach Smith-esque. When you go back to when Carolina was national title good, they didn't foul a lot, and they didn't, and which means they didn't put they 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 they, they didn't put teams at the foul line quite frequently. Now, granted, this isn't ACC competition. This isn't you know Big Six conference competition. 
Well, this is this is a telling stat that so far as Carolina has looked really good defensively, and we've really talked about that at length in all three of these games. They're doing so without fouling, um, and it makes it even better that you've got the rotation that you've had. So even if a guy gets called for a cheap foul, which is going to happen, you know you've got some dudes that are come off the bench that are still going to defend at or even a higher level. So um, I, I, I think that's a stat as much as anything we're going to really keep an eye on this year because if Carolina can keep that number where it is, it's really going to bode well for them as the season moves along. Now let's get to our discussion topic I wanted to have before we get to the keys of the game. Um, be, because Carolina's not foreign to playing in this event. I believe this is their third time playing in the Battle for Atlantis. We all know about the history that they've had in the Maui Invitational, um, which is currently underway in what's one of the best Maui Invitational fields we've ever seen in the history of that event. You know, they were in, you know, PK, they, they were in, the, in, in Oregon last year for the Phil Knight Invitational. They were in Uncasville, Connecticut a few years ago for the Hall of Fame tip-off. They've gone to Las Vegas. You name it for the Thanksgiving holiday, um, you, you know, you know, Carolina has has played in it. Well, you look at our field, and you mentioned that you know two of the the, the premier teams in, that, that are here are, have questionable losses on their resume with Villanova at Penn and then Arkansas at home to UNC Greensboro, does there add pressure to Carolina to emerge victorious from this event? Because I think internally we all thought Carolina would show up the presumptive favorite. But after those two teams, I think Carolina will show up the overwhelming favorite to win three games in three days. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, I would say that probably adds a little bit of pressure. But, I mean, look, there's – if you keep winning, there's going to be pressure at some point this season for this Tar Heel team. So they've got to face it at some point. You'd like to face it earlier in the season than later. So I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing. But yeah, I mean, Arkansas, I mean, that was a tough loss the other night for them in their home gym against UNC Greensboro. And this isn't Wes Miller's UNC Greensboro team. Like, this is a program that, you know, I, I think still has a high standard for itself, but I don't think they're viewed quite on the same level as they were when Wes was there. And, you know, Villanova, I mean, look, that for them, I don't know if that's something that's going to completely turn their season and all of a sudden they're going to be back to what they were last year. But it has to be a little concerning to some of those guys, right, that we're coming off a terrible season where we had, uh, I, I mean, it, I'm going to tell you, I know Carolina – had a horrible season a year ago. Uh, Villanova's rivaled it. Uh, it was almost just as bad for them. Um, so I think, you know, for them, they'll be an interesting team to monitor. Are they going to come in motivated to prove that that was just a fluke? Or are they a team that is going to be affected by that and potentially gets beat by Texas Tech? Um, I think the toughest team that's in this in this bracket, I think, is Memphis. I think that's the team that Carolina, if they make it to the final, will end up playing. Um, so, I, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I think it's a, it's a very friendly field, is how I would, would, uh, would say it. And I do think that probably puts a little bit of pressure on Carolina, but it's something that you know, especially after last year, the amount of pressure that they felt on them. They probably shouldn't be averse to. Yeah, and I mean, look, here's the thing. Even if Villanova and Arkansas wouldn't have suffered the losses that they suffered, I still think Carolina shows up the favorite. 
Because you're North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, Arkan- uh, Arkansas you p- would be the one team that you probably would say would have had a better case. But after that loss, like, who's picking? I mean... Here, here's the thing. The know. only time that Carolina walks into a gym and they're not the favorite is when they're facing other blue blood programs. The Kansases, the Kentuckys, like those types of programs. And even in, in, in some of those cases, Carolina is going to enter those games the favorite. And so, and look, pressure is a, is, is a privilege. And for a lot of these guys, what they come here to do? They came here to win. Mm-hmm. And this is the highest level. This is the highest level of college basketball. When you play at the University of North Carolina, you're going to play the toughest competition in the non-conference. And even though the ACC may not be as deep and talented as the Big Ten or the Big 12, it still proves itself in the NCAA tournament to be one of, if not still, the best conference in the country. And so for these guys, the Harrison Ingrams, the Paxson Wojcik's that are taking a step up in competition, Cormac Ryan's been around it because he played in the ACC for a long time. This is what you signed up for. And and for Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis, you came back to, uh, yes, have a better ending than last year, get back to the to the NCAA tournament, maybe return to the Final Four, and 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 who else, and who knows what else. But you also came back for these types of experiences where Carolina is used to winning these premier marquee holiday tournaments, and so um, this this is where their leadership has to show, especially those two guys. Like you were a part of the team last year that that really really struggled in these types of pressure situations. Well, you got to remember, so it's this, on you to step up. The season started going sideways at Thanksgiving a year ago because you lost back to back games that turned into a four game losing streak, and you ultimately just yep. never recovered. I don't think that's going to happen, but we got to wait to see. But it's certainly possible if they go here and struggle that bad. Because look at what the schedule yep. looks like after it. Because because you, you got you've got Tennessee so, uh, whenever you come back, a team that just as we're as we're recording, just finished up a, a, a double digit win over Syracuse. I also think this this is interesting for for Huber Davis because you know there's a lot of criticism that he that he has endured as his two his no. two plus years. Um, you know I don't know. I don't know of a podcast host out there that fired him, you know, in the first year on the job. Um, uh, they have also had a podcast that he had to do that then recant all of that. Yeah, that I mean, something. I don't know who has ever done that, but I mean, sounds like a great podcast. You know, even after this this past season, and, and look, rightfully so, the people that criticized him, you, I mean, he he deserved to be criticized. Twenty and thirteen at this university is an embarrassment. Missing the tournament is is in in, in a lot of in a lot of ways a fireable offense. We've gone at length saying that that's not what's best for the program. We don't want that to happen. But ultimately, this is a results-driven business. I do think for him, and even though, yes, he has a Final Four to his to to his ledger, he does have a national title game appearance to his ledger, this, this could be a good selling point for him to people who are still out on him because we put a lot of stock into these events because of how good that Carolina has been historically and, and, and you know not to think that I think he's he's outwardly worried about that because I think as much as any coach he he literally doesn't know what's being said about him what's being written about him and whatever but he's a Carolina guy and the family knew what it was like to fire one of their own. He doesn't want to be the next guy to go through it. And I, I think for him, this could be 
for him, great confidence to get himself prepared for the ACC tournament when you play back-to-back games. This is good tournament practice as well. Um, and I think it would just do a lot for him confidence. And it would do if, if Carolina shows well, they, they win this tournament in convincing fashion. For those Carolina fans who are still on the mend and maybe aren't sold on him, this is the type of week that could get them sold that this is still the right guy to lead Carolina basketball. I mean, look, if they win the tournament, no matter how they win, then you should be on the train. If they win it convincingly, like you're saying, then you this is this is a top ten team. This is one of the best teams in the country. Like again, I know this field is not great, but if they come out and dominate, I mean, how are you going to honestly sit there and say I still have reservations about this team? Because then at that point you're just you're just a hater. Like there's just no way around it. Like because you're talking about they would have two power conference wins against, I mean, teams uh, you would expect, because I, I do think it'll probably be Villanova that'll advance. And like I said, if in my opinion, it'll be Memphis, but even if it's Arkansas, you're, you're talking about two teams that are, without a doubt, going to make the NCAA tournament. I don't think there is any question in my mind that they do. So, I mean, that would be, that would be really impressive. You know, if they come out and they then they struggle, if it, especially if it's as bad as the first trip that Carolina had to Atlantis, then I think there's reasons to be concerned. So I think it it, it is going to determine a lot. It doesn't mean that if they go there and they struggle, and then all of a sudden they find a way to bounce back against Tennessee, or God forbid they find a way to go into Madison Square Garden and and beat UConn. Doesn't mean that, oh, that would mean nothing. But this is a really good chance to get some of those wins under your belt. And more than anything, you said it for Hubert, but I think it's for the team as a whole, is just get some confidence that this is not last year's team. Yeah, you you're off to a really good start to this year, but the thing is, I mean, everybody knows. Even in that locker room, we played mid majors. You've got an extremely tough schedule coming up of ranked team on top of ranked team. So you need to find a way to build a little bit of confidence and going there, putting up a great performance, and especially coming away with a tournament victory would do that for you. Yeah, I mean, you go back to 2017 when Carolina won the Maui. That was kind of the springboard for them putting themselves in the conversation to being a national championship contender. If Carolina wins the Battle for Atlanta, so it'll be hard to talk about threats to win the national title and not mention the Tar Heels. So with that, let's get into our keys to the game for this game against Northern Iowa. Um, and, and the first key is yes for this game, but it, it really sets the tone for, for Carolina doing something – special over the next three days um, over this holiday, and that's make perimeter shots because Carolina can't shoot the way they've shot the first three games and win three games in three days, in my opinion. Maybe they can. Um, I I still think too highly of what Villanova has to offer if they were to get by. You know, you uh, same thing with Arkansas, and then Memphis is so experienced, so um, athletic that it would just be tough to kind of over to overcome a rough shooting performance. And, and I, I think this is a game where um, early and often Huber Davis has to call set plays to get Cormac Ryan and Paxson Wojcik 
shots at their spots in rhythm. And um, and not to say that, that he hasn't done that so far because they're still taking good shots. They just haven't gone through. But you've got to make it a you 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 got to make it a point of emphasis that you the the confidence hasn't been lost. You still have faith and trust in those guys to make the shots on the floor uh, when they're when whenever they're they're called upon. And so, um, you know, Carolina just needs to see the ball go in the basket from the perimeter. And even R.J. Davis. You know, it's just a three-game sample size, but he's shooting 28% from three. The good news is is Carolina's bigs can shoot threes now. Armando Baycott's made a three. We saw Jalen Washington make two the other night. So if we can't get perimeter offense through our guards, maybe we get it through our bigs moving forward. But I really talked about the, this the other game going into the UC Riverside game. you got to get Cormac Ryan. you got to get Paxson Wojcik going from the outside. That didn't happen. This has to be one of the things that Carolina achieves in this game if they want to endure a long a, a long run in the winner's bracket in the Bahamas. Yeah, I, I mean, I said it when we were talking about the things that we wanted to see improve against UC Riverside, and it, it really didn't. Um, as you mentioned, you, you saw some things that went well from beyond the arc with your big men. Now, I got to tell you, I, I am not dying to see a ton of threes from Armando Baycott. I would prefer not to see that that often. Um, if it's there in some of these games, definitely take it. But for the most part, I think especially in this tournament, you're wanting him to do most of his work from inside. Uh, Jalen Washington might be a little bit of a different story. This was something that we heard about him coming out, that he had the ability to stretch the floor a little bit for Carolina. Uh, and if it's there, take it. Um, you know, I think you know Carolina, they, they, they've, they've had really good looks as you've said um it just isn't falling for him and Harrison Ingram's in that group as well um if you can get Harrison Ingram going I mean it really if you can get him and RJ Davis going RJ and Cormac Ryan going uh you know RJ and Paxson Wojcik whatever it is you just need to start seeing some consistent three-point shooting uh if you want to feel confident that they can win this tournament can they win it playing the way that they've been playing so far oh yeah if they defend the way that they did the other night against uc riverside they can definitely win this tournament even without having great shooting numbers but you're not really going to be able to rely on that against much better offensive teams so i think you'd like to see them you know get a little bit of a rhythm going from the outside and i i feel confident that they can you're talking about guys that are veterans cormac ryan been spent how many years at, at at notre dame we make the joke that he came straight off of one of the pilgrim ships um but the dude was there forever so he's been through this he's been through shooting slumps you're just hoping that it sort of clicks starting this weekend Paxson Wojcik, he's been to two different mid-major schools. Now he's here at Carolina. He's gotten it going each place that he's been from beyond the arc. I would think that he'll be able to get it going at some point here. Um, and, you know, the, the Harrison Ingram, I, I think we've seen his game, how dynamic it is. Uh, he, he's a guy that, you know, was stroking it in the, uh, in, in the exhibition game. Hey now. And I thought he, you know, Got off. I think he's taken some good shots early in the season as well. Uh, they just haven't fallen for him. And even you know a guy like Elliot Cadeau off the bench, you'd like to see him start knocking down some of those outside looks if he gets them. So uh, I think 
there's re there, there's a reason to be confident that Carolina can do it, but now you actually have to see it translate onto the court, and hopefully that starts in this game against Northern Iowa. The second one is win the rebounding battle. You kind of uh, expressed your concern after Carolina got out rebounded the other night by UC Riverside. I pushed back, but this is one like if Carolina loses the rebounding battle again, that's three out of four. Um, and it makes you it makes you wonder how how sustainable is this because if you can't out rebound UC Riverside Northern Iowa can you out rebound Tennessee Kentucky UConn teams you'll see in the non conference season you know Duke Virginia Miami teams you'll see in the ACC re- regular season probably not and, and we know how important rebounding uh, is to the game it's the second most important thing behind. Making shots, and and so um, the other night, you know, you got nine rebounds from Harrison Ingram, only six from Armando, which usually doesn't happen. Which is why I'm not overly concerned. And a lot of that was long outside shots from UC Riverside leads to long rebounds, which sometimes helps the offensive glass. But if this is a game that Carolina once again gets get you know gets out rebounded in, then uh, okay, uh, maybe. Maybe you 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 do have concerns, and Carolina has only been out rebounded once. There was, but it was only thirty seven thirty four against Radford. It felt like you got out rebounded in that one, and so this one is kind of almost like the the perimeter shots one. It's it's a key for this game, but it's the key that you need to see carry throughout um, the entire tournament because Carolina will get tested on the glass, and you know we're going to really find out if this small ball lineup that Hubert Davis wants to play can continue to hold its own and more importantly impose its will on the battle of the, of the boards. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I get I get what you're saying that you know they you saw a lot of long rebounds, but the thing is is that this is a team that is going to shoot the three a lot in Northern Iowa. I mean, they they, they averaged 27.3 attempts from beyond the arc per game so far this season, which is 50th in the in, in the country. Uh, they they averaged just 33 attempts from inside the arc. So it's a team that relies heavily on the three ball in order for them to succeed. I think you're probably going to see a lot of long rebounds again in this game. And the thing is, is I get it, you know, from Armando's standpoint. But yeah, you had nine nine rebounds from Harrison Ingram. You need Paxson Wojcik to rebound as well. He was a guy that came in averaging seven a year ago uh, at Brown. You know, you're you're hoping that um, you're you're going to see other guys that can step up there because if teams are going to continue to shoot a lot of threes on you, eventually you have to be able to get to those long rebounds. I think for Carolina in this game, you want to limit the second-chance opportunities for Northern Iowa because you just don't want to give them more chances and, and looks at the rim. Yeah, against UC Riverside, it didn't really hurt you because UC Riverside's not a great offensive team. This Northern Iowa team, I mean, they're not off to the greatest start overall. Still a team that's averaging 77 a game. So it's a team that can score the ball. You don't want to give them extra opportunities to put up points. You want to be able to get out in transition. And the best way to be able to get out in transition is, one, to force turnovers. But the main way to do it is to get rebounds and run. Carolina has to be able to do that in this game. And I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm, I'm paranoid about what this means for the rest of the season. But this is, you know, a, a big weekend where I think we learn a lot about the team. And this is one of the areas I'll be keeping an eye on. If they struggle that much rebounding the basketball, 
I mean, it's it's going to be hard not to feel concerned as we head into the rest of the non-conference. The last key is is to get this game at a point where you're resting your starters because you got to play three games in three days. No matter what, no matter win, lose, or draw, um, you you you, you got to keep playing. And we've seen we've seen the rotation be rotated in the first three games. We're really going to find out this week. Um, maybe not with this game, but definitely you know with the second game. No matter if Carolina wins or loses, um, we're really going to find out if that's for real or if that was fool's gold and Hubert Davis was just was rotating guys because he was playing uh, lesser opponents. But um, the, you know you would like to this to, for, for this to be a game where no starter plays no more than twenty eight minutes. Um, and I and I I do think that's attainable. I do think that's achievable. Um, and you, you know that hasn't been the case the last two years. You've had to play your starters in these types of events, 35, 36, 37 minutes a night, and ask them to turn around in about 18 hours and do it again. And look, I, I buy into their college athletes. They get, you know, they're, they're not even getting paid to, to play just necessarily just yet. You play a game for a living or you're, you're playing a game and getting an education. It's not that hard to show up and play. But you know there is the travel that is involved. Um, their bodies are in a are, they're in a different time clock. They're on a different body clock. They're not sleeping in their in their their normal beds and everything. So if you can get them as much rest as you can, because you might need a game where you got to play them 35, 36 minutes a night. You know you 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 don't want that to start right away. And so kind of like in the ACC tournament, where typically Carolina's positioned well enough where they've got a a team that they should handle. This is a team that Carolina should handle, and it should be a game where we see that 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 bench used early and often. Yeah, well, I I feel confident that they'll really rotate throughout this entire tournament. I would be absolutely stunned if they have a game where they have to play guys 35, 36 minutes unless they go to overtime in in a game. I I just I don't see it because I just think there's there's too much depth here. Now, what I will say is I think you will see these lineups in each game probably look a lot different. There will be lineups that you will see uh, a lot of on uh, Wednesday night that you won't see at all when Carolina play is in the final. So I, I, I think, you know, you're, 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 you should feel confident heading in. But yes, this is another area that you will really learn about with this team is, is this team really that deep? Because there will be guys in this tournament that are going to face their toughest challenges of the year, and we'll see, you know, what some of these guys are made of. But I feel, I feel pretty confident in, that that they're going to be able uh, to keep their starters pretty rested throughout. More confident than I've felt in any other year. We've talked about it so much already so far early this season when we talked about the depth. You know, the last few years it was six, maybe seven guys at the max that you could bring that that you had uh, in your rotation, uh, and that's why towards the end of the season, and especially once they got into the tournament uh, in. 2021, 20, 22, and they got to the Final Four, you started seeing some of these guys wear down. With this group, it doesn't feel like they're going to get to that point because they've got so much more depth that they can use at every position on the floor. I mean, look at the other day. Part of the reason why Armando Baycott only had six rebounds 
was because they didn't need to play him a lot. They had Jalen Washington that they could use. It allowed them to get Armando a little bit of a rest against a team that uh, had some physical guys inside that were beating and banging around. And, you know, it also allowed Jalen Washington to get some valuable playing time and learn how to guard a little bit more on the perimeter against a guy that could stretch the floor. So I, I think, you know, this will be a tournament where Hubert Davis. We're going to, we're, we're, you know, people that are questioning him and how he uses rotations, this is going to show us a lot about how he's going to use his rotations throughout the year because the first three games of the year, you played mid-major opponents. Now you're playing major conference opponents. I mean, you, you would expect, I mean, you're going to play them at least two of the three games. Um, although, I mean, do we count Memphis as a major conference opponent? I mean, they are in the American, which isn't a major conference. But with them, I, I think you would still count them that. So either way, I think you're going to find out a lot about what the rotations are going to look like moving forward for Hubert Davis and his group. So hopefully to, uh, against Northern Iowa, you get to see a, a, you know similar to what we've seen so far this year, and it allows these guys to get some rest. Carolina enters with an 81.3% chance to win the game according to ESPN Analytics. I'll take the liberty and go ahead and pick this game. I think Carolina wins. I think they advance to the semifinals um, with 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 the convincing win. Um, I'll I'll go ahead and say I think it's it's going to be by double digits, and it'll be a performance that that that, that will really start the belief that it's going to be a fun three games in three days for the Tar Heels and Nassau. Yeah, I think Carolina wins this one. I think it's uh, re- relatively comfortable at the end. I could see this being a lot like Radford and Lehigh early in the second half. I could see Northern Iowa still sticking around. I do think Northern Iowa is a good team. They're going to be in the middle of that battle for the Missouri Valley Conference title. Uh, They've just gotten off to a bit of a slow start. I think they'll be motivated out of the gate, but I think Carolina just has too much. I think Armando Baycott inside will give uh, this group for Northern Iowa, which is smaller. UC Riverside had a little bit more size than I think we we originally thought they did. They had two guys inside that were 6'11 or bigger that they could use. Northern Iowa has one guy on their roster that's over 6'6. So this is an extremely small team. I think Carolina will use that size inside to take advantage of it. I do think Carolina gets in a little bit of a rhythm from beyond the arc. They may not get to the point that I want them to get to, which is 10 made threes or more. Uh, in these games, but I think they'll they'll get in some sort of rhythm shooting the basketball on this one, and I think they pick up a 15-plus point win over Northern Iowa. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast, guys. But before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit the website. Um, that's sealtoughblog.com, where we'll have you covered all tournament long. But with that, we do got a little bit of an announcement to make, is that the coverage might be a little bit different. Um, for the Thanksgiving holiday, my family and I were going out of town. We're going to Dallas to watch the Cowboys uh, play the, uh, the Commanders for Thanksgiving, something we've been wanting to do um, really for a long time now. So I'm going to be somewhat out of commission. Of course, I was here to get you guys ready for the game, but between my flight and the time I land, Anthony will have you covered post-game-wise uh, on the website and, and and even for some of the podcasts. He's going to take on the burden to make sure you guys get every game previewed, 
recapped both on the website and the podcast uh, format. As much as I can work work into my, my vacation, I most definitely will um, because I'm still going to be watching these games. It might be on a delay or something like that, but still going to be tuning in and watching Carolina play. But the coverage might be a little bit different. It might be um, a little bit, you know, just a little bit different than what you see whenever I'm previewing, when I'm recapping games. And, of course, you'll he'll be talking about some of these games by himself as well. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, um, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. Or there we do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any edition of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.